The Pace Line Podcast is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health conscious people get special life insurance rates. Go to healthiq.com forward slash paceline to support the show and learn more. And the Pace Line is supported by LAL Cycling. The coast is calling. LAL Shore Collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LAL products are crafted right here in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now on to the show. Hello, Paceliners. Michael Houghton here, a.k.a. Hottie. How are you doing? Uh, I am in my shower, of all places. Of course, a shower is a traditional thing to do after a ride. And uh, we've been riding plenty around here, despite what's been a pretty brutal heat wave, even by uh, L.A., uh, even by L.A. standards, uh, it was uh, 111, just 20 miles from the coast recently. So it's been really hot in these parts. And one of the things I like to do after a ride, whether it's been cold out or very hot like it's been, is take a shower. Now, when it's hot, uh, I forego something in the shower. I forego the hot water valve and go for the completely cold shower. So now, as part of a pace line demonstration, I will take a frigid shower for you the Paceline listeners. Enjoy the show, everyone. Paceline, the podcast on two wheels, Patrick, Hottie, and me, Fatty. This is show number 83, and I understand, Patrick, you are in Tennessee, of all places. What is going on there? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm in Tennessee. Um, I've got a couple reasons to be here. One, uh, I, you know, it's always nice to come back to the land where I grew up. My mom still lives here, and so I showed up on her doorstep at uh, a little after lunchtime on Monday, completely unannounced. Uh, I was a little concerned that I might. Seriously, I, 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 I kid you not. Um, yeah, I just showed up on her doorstep because the reason I. You I'm, are a terrible son. Did you have laundry with you? <laughs> <laughs> not this time. It's only been twenty odd years since I've done that. Um, uh, so the reason I'm here is I'm working on a feature for Bicycling Magazine, and things came mm-hmm. together reasonably quickly and uh in talking with my wife uh she uh she suggested why don't you just show up on her doorstep you know don't don't call her ahead of time and just just show up there and surprise her and my big question was not whether or not she'd be okay with that but whether or not i'd give her a heart attack uh yeah i mean she she is 76 you know it's like you you think she'll you know, the other thing is like, she's a little hard of hearing now. So I was beating on her door, her oak door with my knuckles until they were hurting because she couldn't hear me. I rung the doorbell three <laughs> times, you know. Uh, and the cops pull up. <laughs> and they've done that before. Uh, gosh. I'll bet they have. Yeah. Uh, but so uh. I came back here on behalf of bicycling to do a feature about Memphis. Now, some people may recall that in 2010, Bicycling Magazine named Memphis the worst city in the entire country for cycling. 
And I got to say, at the time, I thought it was reasonably well-deserved. Um, mm. This has not been the land of milk and honey for cyclists. Um, you know, I mean, I've had beer bottles thrown at me. I've had cans of soda thrown at me. Uh, I've had people say all manner of things that, you know, are, we'll go with frowned upon. And Dude, maybe it's just you. Well, I had considered that. <laughs> Um, but then, uh, this, this, uh, abandoned rail line was taken over by the city and they built a bike path on it called the green line. And Mm -hmm. it opened in, I want to say 2011 and a year later, 2012 bicycling named Memphis, the most improved city in the nation for cycling. And the thing is, since that time, They've been on a roll. I mean, I interviewed the former mayor and the current mayor yesterday. And the way uh, Jim Strickland, the current mayor, put it was that the city's on a roll. They have momentum and they see the value in infrastructure for cyclists and pedestrians. And they have, you know, they look at that, that number about how many pedestrian fatalities there are each year. And it's a number they are actively concerned about. And so Memphis has become a much more friendly, inviting, you know, survivable place to ride a bike. And it's because I've been watching those things and aware of those things. I have a mother who clips things out of the newspaper and mails them to me. You know, that's still a thing. Yeah. And so, you know, I've been staying abreast of what's been going on here. And finally, I thought, you know, I used to joke that Memphis was the place that bicycle advocacy went to die. And that's not the case anymore. And, you know, I don't think there's a better person to try to help celebrate the change in the city than one of its former sons who moved away because it was such a bad place to ride. (laughs) Well, very cool. I look forward to reading more about that in an upcoming episode or upcoming edition, I guess, Magazines don't have episodes, an edition of Bicycling Magazine. Yeah. Meantime, I've got a new weekly segment for you guys. And I, I, I got a great name for it, too. Okay. Well, I'm calling it The Very Important Question. I like <laughs> it. <laughs> VIQ. And so here's my idea every week on the pace line, we ask a question, something you know, very, very important that goes into you know, research, very thoughtful research into cycling culture and riding techniques. And then we post a poll, an instant poll on Twitter and in the uh, write-up on, for the article, you know, for the podcast on Red Kite Prayer. And then we look at the results of that the following week and then ask another question. And to bootstrap it, I fired off a question earlier this week. I got 400 responses. You want to hear the question? I hope so. I'm assuming the answer is yes. It is yes. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Knowing what you know about what you do while wearing mountain biking gloves, would you ever wear another person's mountain biking gloves? The answers are, or the options are, yeah, why not? No, absolutely not. Only if boiled first. And you. <laughs> Out of 400 votes, 
Guess which got 39% of the votes? Ew. No, you took second place mm-hmm. with 31%. No, absolutely not was the winner. Oh. Folks understand, it turns out, that when you are riding that l- nice little terry cloth strip that most mo- mountain bike gloves have is to wipe off this weird, horrible combination of snot and sweat. And I just would never wear another person's mountain biking gloves. I just would not. Um, well, now you've cured there me were, of ever doing it. <laughs> there were a number of people who uh, had additional responses that uh, that we got in Facebook. Uh, Mo Letvin, a former co-worker of mine and a good riding buddy, uh, said, this is worse than bike shorts because people wash their shorts, which is a great point. And he also said, by the transitive property, this makes it very hard to eat rest area food that is distributed in big bowls, which I had never considered before. You know those big bowls of M&Ms that you see at uh, aid stations? Mm-hmm. I am never, ever going to t- eat those again. Y- you mean you did? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I have, see, but I'm, I've repented of that. I'm 180 <laughs> so. degrees off on this. I, you know... I don't eat anything out of those bowls. Um, Mm. (laughs) I would wear somebody's gloves, but only because I thought people wash their gloves. I wash my gloves. After every ride? Not every single ride. Okay, then. (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah, so in that case, never mind. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for uh, playing, Patrick. uh Uh-huh. So Tyson Apostle left a comment on this, and if uh, that name's familiar, it's because he is the winner of the Survivor television show, and he said, I borrowed some today, which just goes to show you. That's what it takes to win Uh, Survivor? That's what it takes to win Survivor. I mean, those guys, they're hardcore. Uh, A commenter by the name of Michael Houghton says, I'd rather go barehanded. And uh, David Houston said, not all of us use our gloves like you. And he's making reference to a unique and unfortunate circumstance I had one year while racing the Crusher and the Tusher where I had to quickly get off my bike and scramble down a hill because I had an emergency after which I needed something to clean up with. Hmm. And my gloves were at the moment the best option I could come up with. Afterward, I figured out that I should have used my socks, but I did... <laughs> Uh, that was that was the last time I wore those clothes. Man, that's I'll a, say no more. That's a piece of math that I just really don't even want to work through. <laughs> I mean, because you've got the space I, between the fingers of the gloves, and yeah, all right. Yeah. So, there's, would the, there's would all... the maker of that glove be the company that made those gloves? Be proud of that fact, or just not want to publicize at all? I wouldn't think that they would and in fact probably i i would guess that burke swindlehurst is wishes that i would stop telling this story is <laughs> my best guess on that all right so that is that's the that is the first question from last week and now i'm going to tell you this week's question and i'm going to tell our listeners go on to twitter and look uh, fat cyclist or the red kite prayer handle 
or the Paceline handle for on Twitter. Tell me what those are again. I think, Patrick, you, you were the owner of those, but we're going to retweet this survey. Yep. Yep. So it's just Red Kite Prayer and Paceline mm-hmm. Podcast. Pretty straightforward. Pretty simple. Super easy. Look for either of those. And also we'll embed the, we'll embed the survey or the, the one question poll in the, uh, in the show notes for this episode. But here you go. This one. And I want to get your guys' answers on this and see what you think the answers are going to look like. And we'll come back to this next week. When you're on your bike descending down a straight section, which foot do you have most often out front? Your left foot, your right foot, you switch it up about 50-50, or you don't even know. Oh, I'm, gonna, I'm totally going to get this wrong. Hmm. There's no right or wrong. There, Yeah, it, no right or wrong. It's just what you do. Yeah, it's just what you do. What do you do? I know what I do, and I know why I do it, and I'll reveal it all next week. Oh, I, okay. Fair enough. We'll let you, you can answer next week. But I want to know, Patrick, what, what is your guess? What do you think is going to be the most popular? I'm going to go left foot dominant. Because most okay. people, most people put uh, their most people balance on their left foot and kick a ball with the right foot, which means that for balance and control, they use their left foot, and that's the foot that usually goes forward. It's uh, you know on, in surfing and skating that's called regular foot, uh, and so that tends to dominate in uh, over goofy foot, which is right foot forward. So I suspect that we're going to get more than 50% respondents saying left foot forward. Very interesting. What do you think? Which way do you think it's going to go, Hadi? Yeah, I just, uh, I think because predominantly there's probably more right-handed folks in the world, right-handed hitters, right-handed golfers all put their left foot forward. I think just by the simple math of things, you're going to find that most people all do have their left foot at what would be, I don't know, is that nine o'clock or three o'clock or the left foot would be the leading foot going downhill, downhill on the right foot would be the one trailing as they descend. And they would, and I think predominantly also they would leave it there. I think, I think you're going to find very few people who are switching back and forth. Maybe the more skilled mountain bikers do because they find an advantage somehow and they, and they can practice and learn it. But I think most folks are comfortable staying in one position as they tackle a tricky section, and it's going to be that right-hand, non-goofy foot position. Now, I will say that both my wife and I are right-handed. One of us rides with the right foot forward. One of us rides with the left foot forward. And it was only yesterday during the ride that I noticed that. I was like, hey, you ride with a different foot forward. And that's where the question came from. I have a couple of theories myself on this, and we'll get into them next week. Be interested to see where the question or where the foot dominance winds up and your reasons why in the next episode of The Pace Line. Cool. So let's talk about something hot. Hmm. And hottie, you seem like the right person to talk about things that are hot. Well, I suppose so, although I'm so glad Patrick is in Memphis, Tennessee, a city known for heat and humidity. Uh, oh, yeah. Because what I want to talk about today is riding in the heat. Now, out west, we are just now, at least in Southern California, recovering from what's been a pretty nasty heat wave. Uh, Monday, in fact, I went for a, a mountain bike ride 
And it was simply an hour and a half ride. I wasn't trying to do too much because it was starting to warm up. The heat wave was just starting. By the time I got to the top of a local climb here, got to the dirt mulholland section, my Garmin, which tend, now Garmin tends to exaggerate temperature readings, but my Garmin did say 115 degrees on it. And this was on the onset of this heat wave here. Um, that was just one example of how high, as the week progressed, it just got scorching on here. The whole state was ablaze. It seemed like I know Patrick up in your neck of the woods, Santa Rosa. Uh, it was just ungodly hot up there. Even as you got to Western Sonoma County and Jenner, you were telling me it was close to a hundred degrees out there. Yeah. And that's just ridiculous for that close to the ocean. Um, the other day, only 15 miles from the coast here in LA, it was 112. I mean, that's just silly kind of temperatures. And of course, we all have stories of hot rides and races. I can recall one year up at a race called Sisquak, which is uh, Sisquak sits um, about an hour north of Santa Barbara um, in a small valley. Uh, we raced uh, after one o'clock one day, and the temperature through the little town of Sisquak was 109 degrees. Uh, luckily, the race was no more than 50 miles, but racers were just dropping like flies rings of salt around the mouth were just <laughs> everywhere um it was a race of attrition actually my teammate a guy we lovingly called backpack joe won the race and we called him backpack joe because he was a smart guy he used to wear a camelback even as a road rider and he employed hmm. it that day and he needed it and he won uh, the swiss squawk road race that day in in what was just unbearable heat well, I thought it was a good, you know, since we've had this heat wave and this extreme heat, it would be a good idea just to share some thoughts and some ideas we have about riding in extreme heat, whether or not we do it, um, some of our tips and some of our ideas about getting through these these hot days. Well, one of the lucky things I have here in Southern California is I've got the ocean. So even if it is uh, 100 degrees, you know, 10, 15 miles inland, as long as you ride close to the coast— you're probably going to be okay. You're still going to be able to at least get your ride in. You won't, you know, your your favorite roads may not be available to you, your favorite canyon climbs and so forth, but you can ride the coast. You can stay reasonably cool. And that's, in fact, what we did uh, Saturday in the midst of this heat wave is we did a, you know, nice 100-mile ride up and down the coast and um, wasn't too much of an issue. We, had, you know, we were all hot. It was, it was a warm day. And by the end of the day, we were ready to, to call it quits. Um, I think, you know, the obvious thing is hydrate, but the harder thing is to remember to eat in the heat. I mean, you know, your stomach doesn't feel up to eating, but you really are burning a lot of calories when it gets hot out. So you got to find a way to get some food in you. Um, here's a question for both of you. And I, you know, I've never been a Jersey unzip guy, even on a climb. I've always kept the thing up. Maybe I think that's just too pro of a move. I don't know what. Uh, maybe I don't have a lot of confidence in my chest. Um, but I <laughs> leave my jersey zipped up. I might half down it a little bit just to open up the collar, but I don't go full unzip. So are you guys unzipped? Do you guys unzip your jerseys on hot days? Nope. Never, no matter what. Yeah, it's just not a move I, I feel good about. Yeah, I, it, when your nickname's Fatty, you don't unzip <laughs> your jersey. <laughs> and my nickname could be Fatty, so there's that. Yeah. And to be honest, when you watch the tour and the hot days of July when they're doing these climbs and these guys unzip their jerseys, you think you think of them as such great athletes until they do so. And then you get to look at those sunken chests, sunken white chests, and you're, oh, my God, please zip that thing up. So yeah, I tend to leave the jersey zipped up even when it gets really hot out. I figured it's it's not that bad. I can I can survive. 
Um, that said, when I see those guys do that and then they approach the finish line and they manage to sit up and how fast they can get their jersey re-zipped, that's an impressive thing. Totally. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm in, in my bedroom looking at my jersey in the mirror. I still need, in on average, four tries before mm-hmm. I get it connected and it zips up. It's jerseys, it seems, you know, the zippers just don't want to necessarily mesh. These guys, they're just like, bam, and yep. it's up. I'm yeah. Like, wow, that's perfect. I, I wonder. Vest included. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, same thing. You know, it, it's, I wonder if they've like practiced the whole, you know, grabbing it just right so that they can feed the zipper in without looking down. Because, uh, yeah, it was easy to get a jacket on or off. I preferred vests for that reason. Super easy to take a vest off. I can put one on. It's not my favorite thing to do. Getting it zipped up. Oh, yeah. my God. That's the total. That's the pro move. You know? Yep. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I think they practice. Or they have special zippers, like with magnets in them or something. They immediately engages. Or they just snap right well, in. Well, you know, yeah. Rafa makes that rain vest, uh, The uh, what is it, the, the pro vest or pro team vest, something like that. Uh, I reviewed it two years ago, I want to say, 18 months ago, something like that. It's got a Velcro flap on it so that when you first get it on, it'll at least do something instead of fluttering like a flag just by slapping the Velcro on, you know, Mm. and it's right. It's, you know, right. Just, uh, just about your pectoral muscle, you know? Mm. So it's in a great position. And that way, you know, if you aren't coordinated enough to get it zipped up, you'll at least still have some protection and it won't just be, you know, drag. Um, yeah. One of the reasons I'm I'm not a fan for myself, aside from I just don't look amazing, that that would be the driving reason. But you know, practically speaking, there's another reason for not riding around with your jersey completely open, and that is it creates aerodynamic drag. You're gonna go slower. Hmm. There's that, and I don't know if there is truth to this, but it seems to me that a lot of the really lightweight mesh jerseys now are as cool or cooler when they're, you know, zipped up as if they are zipped down, that they are wicking moisture away. And when the moisture is evaporating off of you, that is heat that is being transferred off your body. Absolutely. And that, that is not a bad thing. So you unzip that jersey and you essentially disable that capability. Right, right. Uh, it, can't, I have my, it can't my wick summer if it's jerseys, not there. <laughs> yeah, my summer jerseys are all super, super lightweight. They weigh practically nothing. They let the wind through, and they help the sweat evaporate off me and you know do the job of my sweat, which is cool me off. So there we go. Anyway, I, I took you off on a huge tangent, Hottie. No, I apologize No problem. Uh, one last item I tend to care is a, a handkerchief. I actually mentioned my handkerchief in my paceline pick last week, and that's another item I can soak in water if I need to and wipe myself down. Good way to cool off. So just some of the ways I try to keep cool, uh, in mm-hmm. what's been a nasty heat wave around here. Now the heat waves been broken down a little bit. We're, we're recovering right now, but you know, it, we're cyclists. We still want to run. It's, there's never a perfect day. In my mind, it's always a little cool, a little hot, what have you. And sometimes you just have to muster through this stuff. So I was wondering what you guys do to to battle the heat when it does get hot. Do you continue to ride? 
And if so, how do you do it? I have two good tips. Um, my first one is only works if you live in a place like where I live. I climb out of the heat. I live at 5,000 feet, which is you know, pretty good to start with. But I any of the climbs, any of the major rides near where I live, mountain bike or road bike, will take me up to 8,000 feet. And the difference in that 3,000 feet is generally 15 degrees cooler. I go up into American Fort Canyon and it is, if it's 100 degrees here, it is 85 there. And there are many rides I can do that take me up to 9,000 feet and even one that will take me up to 10,000 feet. And it's around 5 degrees per 1,000 feet. So that'll do it. I climb away from the heat and that works great. Plus when you're in a canyon, you're generally a little more shaded and it's just nice. So if you live in the mountains, you probably already know. Climb out of the heat. Mm -hmm. The second one is something that I think anyone can use. And this is uh, something I learned very recently from a friend who offered me this. At the end of a long, hot ride, uh, and we all uh, pulled into the parking lot where we had our various vehicles, he pulled out a, f a stack of fresh, white uh, rags. Uh, and rags is the wrong word. They're more the size and shape of washcloths that he, you can buy in bulk at Costco. And he had a gallon of water, and he was just pouring that onto each of these you know, rags, handing them out, and putting one of those on your head, washing your face. Oh, the cooling right there at the end of the ride, it is a little slice of heaven. Mm -hmm. So... Go to your nearest Costco, get some of those. Of course, you wash them and use them over and over, but also if they get dirty or, you know, your friends take them home with them because they're still using them, then, you know, it's not that big of a loss. So these reusable uh, white rags, buy them in bulk at Costco, keep a gallon of water in your vehicle, and you've got yourself a nice little post-ride cooling station. Super nice to have. And Patrick, um, I mean, I mentioned Santa Rosa and how hot it was there, but Memphis in the southeast, which you have a lot of experience in, they get heat and, of course, humidity. What's the difference maker down there? How do folks survive those conditions? Uh, a lot of people use insulated bottles. That's really popular. They really, really only work for a little while. I mean, after about an hour, you know, whatever's in there is easily to, you know, kind of standard room temperature, if not warmer. Uh, by two hours, you know, it's whatever the air temperature is outside. But, uh, you know, people will, group rides that I've done in the past will stop more often at, you know, gas stations and convenience stores and that sort of thing uh, to allow people to rehydrate. Um, people will go through an awful lot of water riding in the humidity here. That, that's certainly something I recall from my previous experience living and riding here. Uh, last week, you know, it hit 110 two days in a row. And, you know, my first tactic is to just try to shift the time of day that I ride. I just try to go out earlier. Um, and when that's not an option, you know, if I can't get out early in the day, um, then I'll try to shift it to as late in the day as possible again so it cools off. And, you know, we're fortunate in that very often the temperature swings in Sonoma County, you know, on a bad day, it's 30 degrees, you know. Um, but, you know, during these, these heat waves, the temperature swings may be as much as 50 degrees. 
So you you have, you know, if your schedule's flexible, you have the ability to escape the worst of that heat. But if I know it's going to be hot just because of the length of the ride, if it's a mountain bike ride or a gravel ride, I'll bring a hydration pack. I will. And at minimum, I will put refrigerated water in there uh, or I may put a bunch of ice cubes in or if I'm really concerned about what it is, I'll just freeze the whole bladder. Hmm. I've never done a frozen bladder. It seems like that would be really uh, sharp at first. The, the only No, it's really not bad. The only issue is depending on the, the design of the particular pack, getting the bladder in there because it doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't yeah. flex at all, that can prove to be an issue. Um, so, yeah, but you know, I guess you go ahead and freeze it inside the pack, right? Uh, if you've got room but, in your freezer, but you know, if you're at an yeah. event and there are four other guys freezing bladders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I see how that might be limiting. Yeah. So, but you know, ice cubes, if you fill, you know, if you have enough ice cubes and you just fill the bladder with ice cubes first and then add water, that's darn defective. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Here's to riding in the heat. <laughs> no, no, not here's to riding in the heat. Here's to escaping the worst effects of the heat. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah, there you go. Good stuff. And let's go ahead and take a quick break right now for a word from our sponsor. When we come back, an interview with a young kid that we all want to be like when we grow up. What are your cheat sheets for being able to uh, kind of conquer the heat when you're out training on a very hot day? You know, my favorite is uh, stopping at a gas station with a walk-in cooler. And I just... Walk, get a walk-in beer cooler, and I just hang it out in there for 10 minutes and go back out and go at it again. Perfect. Right, Actually, so. and then uh, uh, Slurpees. Slurpees do really well, except the brain freeze. I, I get them really easily. We've been talking about Health IQ and how they are helping people to source better rates on life insurance. Recently, they updated their site with new insurers and the ability to serve more people. They've got special rates for cyclists, of course, and runners and triathletes, but also vegans and other health-conscious people now. We've mentioned they have quizzes, and these aren't just for fun. If you score elite on a quiz for a specific lifestyle, that can earn you a further discount on your life insurance. They've also replaced BMI with waist-to-hip ratio, which is a far better predictor of cardiovascular disease when it comes to athletes. Additionally, they replaced the LDL-to-HDL ratio with triglyceride-to-HDL ratio for people on low-carb or paleo diets because that's a better predictor of cholesterol health. Amazingly, they will not take into account one incidence in a family history if you are otherwise healthy. It's like a get-out-of-jail card. In other words, if one person in your family has had cancer or diabetes, they won't ding you for it. Finally, they can also get better rates for those with runner's heart or hypertension. Check them out at healthiq.com slash paceline. And the pace line is back, Hottie Patrick and me, Fatty. Hottie, you recently talked with Diego Benetina, the owner of Base Cartel. 
21-year-old kid, but kid's not the right word because when you've already got a lifetime of accomplishments to your credit, you get to be called something other than kid, right? Yeah, well, most cyclists along the beach communities know Diego. He's impressed us with his abilities on and off the bike. He's capable of dropping you just about on any local climb. He's a young gun who's following his inspiration and has created a unique brand that has quickly developed a following. All right, Paceliners, we're at the Manhattan Beach uh, Grand Prix in Manhattan Beach, California. You might be able to hear the the race going on uh, around us here. And I've come to the Manhattan Beach Grand Prix, not to race, I have raced this race before, but to meet up with somebody who um, a lot of the folks here locally know and hopefully you'll get to know real soon. And that is my good bit of here, uh, D- Diego. Are you, Diego, first things first, are you racing today? I am not racing. Uh, I've raced for, I've been racing bikes since I was 14 years old, uh, all within SoCal, outside of SoCal and internationally. Mahambi Trampri, I've never actually raced here, but it is my goal next year to participate in the Pro 1-2. So it's my goal for next year. That's interesting because you're a local guy here. You you were brought up in the area. Um, and we're going to get to talking about what Diego's up to now, which is a his company called Base Cartel. It's a clothing and sock company. But let's talk about your entry into cycling and how you got introduced into the sport and your evolution in the sport. Uh, how, what was your first bike, on a competitive level, bike experience? On a comp- Well, so I... I was actually kind of born into cycling. So my mom had been racing before I was born. So some of like my earliest memories were actually at like crits while my mom was racing, um, waiting for her to get home from, you know, all the group rides so we could do things on Saturday afternoon. Um, When I was 14, uh, over the summer I was bored and the tour was on and I was watching the tour and I thought... It just looked like something to do. It looked like you could have a lot of fun with it, just riding your bike around through the mountains. It looked like a blast. So I told my mom that I wanted to start riding, so she let me borrow her cyclocross bike. And then from there, I just uh, I started doing all of the local group rides, and I fell in love with it. I was hooked. It, it would keep me up at night just thinking about the next NPR. Uh, from there, it just got... Serious, a little bit more serious every day and uh, my first race was actually state championship road race I was overconfident I went uh, I went there thinking I was going to do something and I got dropped on lap two out of five in the 13 14th so you did have success though pretty quickly and it got noticed didn't it yeah so after that that was the last race of the season and then over that winter I told my dad like next year I want to win so I worked with my dad and he you know he created a bit of a makeshift training schedule and uh, the following year I did have success I I went down to the velodrome to work on my sprint um, and I focused on the Ontario series Uh, I ended up winning the race series that year uh, as well as a handful of other crits Mm -hmm. Um, from there, I, uh, I went to go race for Specialized Junior Development run by Larry Nolan. That was an incredible opportunity, and that's kind of what propelled me into the next level of bike racing within the U.S. So immediately joining on that team, um, I won Sea Otter Road Race when I was 15. Uh, I went to Nationals. And after that, um, I you know, took the next step, and I was part of the USA National Team Program. Uh, 
from getting on that program, I started going on European trips with them from when I was uh, 15. I went on my first trip to Europe with USA Cycling. And what was? I mean, you're a 15-year-old, yeah. and this is only six years ago. Diego is yeah, not... Yeah. I'm, not a senior guy around I'm 21 now. I'm yeah. 21 now. So yeah, it wasn't a it wasn't that long ago. I went over to Europe when I was 15, still relatively new to the sport, and my heart was in my throat the whole time. I was as nervous as you could be. I was out of my league, but I went over there with the goal of winning. I still wanted to win a bike race, um, and I still wanted to give my best effort, and. Uh, Actually, on my first trip to Europe, I won a Kermes solo, and that was a life-changing experience to go in to something that you identif- I identified as a cyclist. I wanted to win bike races. I went over there fearless, and I, I ended up walking away with the victory. Mm. So that was a life-changing moment to be able to accomplish a great goal in my life like that, mm-hmm. something that I set, I set out to do. So where does racing stand in your life now? Um... Uh, last year, when I was racing age 20, I went over to race in Europe full-time. I lived in a laundry room, I raced in the rain, I raced in the snow, I raced for a 100% pure Dutch team, and uh, it was an amazing experience. Not during, after it was an amazing experience, but uh, this year I wanted to take time to focus on setting up my life outside of cycling, to just build a better foundation, build the relationships with my friends and family, of course work on my business, Base Cartel. Um, I, I wanted that foundation outside of cycling so I could come back to you know, racing and I could go for the win. I didn't have to focus, oh, what if I don't get a contract next year? What if I don't, if I don't do well at this race, I won't be able to race, make the selection for next week's racing. The most important thing to me is every time I get on the bike, I ask myself, why are you riding? And it has to be for myself. So I needed to almost leave the sport to come back for the bike to be for me. It needed to be for myself. So is racing still in your future, or where does it stand right now? I will race next year. So I'll continue to race Pro 1-2 next year. Uh, I'll race independently. So I'll race for Base Cartel. I'll promote my brand. I'll put in the training this winter. Make sure to follow me on Strava. Friend me on Facebook because I'm going to start posting uh, when I'm going out for rides. And I hope to get like little groups going every weekend. And... Uh, yeah, I, I want to train with everyone. I want to ride with everyone. So let's get to Base Cartel now, and this is your company. At what point in your, you know, you're beating yourself up in Europe, riding in yeah. the race, you, you've got obviously goals and aspirations, maybe racing the tour one year, who knows what. When did the idea of clothing socks into your head, how did that come about? One of my favorite like moments of being a pro was going to my first training camp and receiving the bags of clothing, feeling all of the kits, packing all of the kits. I kind of fell in love with kits there. Uh, I was sponsored by Castelli at the time, and of course they make a great product. So I just I loved, I loved how nice all of the clothing was. Um, from there, I just paid attention to it. It kind of just became something that I started paying attention to. Uh, over that year. Um, I got into the socks. I started making socks with Base Cartel. Um, while you race pro, you get all of the kits that you need, and you have to wear those kits every day. But 
where you can be creative or where you can be uh, independent stand out is through your socks. So I, I had the idea that I wanted to just start making socks for myself and for my buddies to wear with our team kits kind of as an outlet for uh, creativity. Um, I brought in our first design. Uh, I sold them to all of my friends. Their friends bought them, and it was just kind of, you know, growth. I received a, a positive, it was a positive start to the brand. Yeah. So you see socks and clothing not necessarily something functional and necessary, but something creative. Uh, in the beginning, it was a creative outlet, but as Base Cartel continues to grow with uh, the great support that we've received, um, I have put more thought into adding on to the functionality of a kit. With the latest release, we um, put a front pocket, and that's for your coffee money, an essential for every ride. Every ride stop for coffee. <laughs> every ride, you got to stop for coffee. Yeah, so you've the socks... Uh, at least I know in the South Bay have become wildly popular. Just about everyone you see who rides around here has a pair of base cartels. If not in their drawer, on their feet at that time. So how did that? How did you go from socks to now kits? Because now you have kits out. So, uh, yeah, we got socks on a lot of people's feet. All of a sudden, I started showing up to group rides, and uh, people were wearing the socks, like you said. And uh, I decided to design a kit for myself. It was a very simple kit, and I went on a ride with a few of my friends, and they were like, "Hey, well, we want to, we want to buy the kit. Is it a nice kit? You know, all of the questions." And I uh, gave the kit to my friend to try out, and he said, "This is a great product." From there, to go back to like you know a uh, a place where you can be creative, the same quality and the same thought process that I put into making the socks as nice as they could be. I wanted to put into the kits and see how far I could get with that. I wanted to provide the, the South Bay, a uh, South Bay product that they could wear. Mm -hmm. So in the kit designs, you're working with at least the first couple now, you've worked with local artists to kind of come up with concepts for yeah. the look and you, you back it with the base cartel name. We've done a few collaborations this year. Um, what, we what we brought to those collaborations was of course like our opinion on the design, but production. Um, uh, we have what I feel is a great product, uh, you know, a ride that you can do 100 miles in and you'll still, everything's comfortable at the end of the ride. Uh, later this year, we do plan on doing a, a Koreatown Los Angeles kit to follow up on the Santa Monica kit. Um, and towards the end of the year, October, we will, be we will be releasing our full line from leg warmers to jerseys to bibs to cycling caps. All of the pieces, allowing you, allowing the rider, the consumer, to be able to leave for a ride wearing from head to toe base cartel, which is going to be amazing for me to see. That will be like a dream come true when I see that on the road. So, so tell us about the name, base cartel. Very unique name, but it probably need, you probably spent a lot of time explaining what the name is. Yeah. So the name is unique. You're right about that. Uh, how I came up with the name? It first came with uh, base. Um, we, I wanted to start off by making base layers. That was my goal. I wanted to make really vibrant base layers. Um, I was 17 at the time. I got distracted. I started focusing on socks. And then, you know, I spent a lot of time developing the socks. So the name came out almost from base layer. It came from base layer and socks, those base components to a kit. Um, cartel was in cycling we have group rides groupettos there's a lot of words that we use for a peloton for a group in cycling i wanted to use cartel a cartel 
sure it could have a negative connotation, but a cartel is a group of people. So the base cartel is the group of people in cycling that wear base. Okay. It's the crew, okay. base cartel. I understand that. Now, you also have a very unique logo. It is two hands uh, together as if they are praying, right? So our main logo is the praying hands logo. Um, we did not come... We So the story of how we put that together was um, a few years ago, two years ago now, there was that uh, terrorist attack in Nice when the car crashed into, or the car drove into a group of people. Um, nice is a really popular place for pros to go to train. Um, I felt it was just a, it was uh, like a negative thing to happen, that terrorist attack. So I made a graphic for the company, which was the praying hands with base cartel underneath it, and it was Pray for Nice. And the original version of that logo had the French flag on it as well. Um, I had a lot of my friends and a lot of the uh, people who had bought into the brand at that time asked if we were going to start making stickers for that logo. All the fans, all of the consumers really liked the way that looked, and it ended up evolving into our main logo. So that was kind of actually uh, something that started off as a one-time thing, and it, it manifested into our company logo. Do, do people mistake the logo, though, for some type of religious connotation or that you're trying to promote Christianity in any way? Has there been any pushback with that logo? Um, I've definitely had people ask if it's for religious reasons, um, and in a way it is and in a way it isn't. Uh, my answer to that would be no. It is not for religious reasons. Um, however, religion has played a huge part in our sport. Um, the Pope rides a bike around the Vatican. Um, you see many, many, many professional cyclists with you know, uh, religious chains on, religious necklaces. And anyone who has been in the, you know, the, mom the final moments of that race, solo off the front, in the rain, everything to gain and everything to lose anyone who has been in that experience has asked for a little bit more for the strength to make to the finish line so in a way it is and in a way it isn't well it's the very reason that the pace line where it resides is red kite prayer and it's yep. that same thinking everyone finds that moment once in a while when they need a little inspiration a little help a little something just to to get you through to the end now i want to ask you about one other thing too and that's being uh, a, a young man in, in business and you're taking on you know a world probably dominated by people older than you at all levels do you ever have a problem getting taken seriously about what you do and what you're about because of your age I mean you're 21 right now and you're ahead of a company uh, that's that's making very fine product do you ever run into any of that like well God you're just a kid how could you how can we take you seriously? Um, I have, I have dealt with that, of course, you know, being young, people definitely question the reliability standpoint of it. And my answer to that is, just like with cycling, um, I've always put myself out there. I've always sent out the emails. I've always stood up and said, I can do it. And if I say I can do something, then I won't stop until I get there. And that's what I applied to uh, when I first started racing. That's the mindset that got me to Europe, and I've applied it to business, and it, it's it's worked until this point. So the age, I I explain it a little bit this way. I'm 21 now, so think about what's left. Think about the time that I have to do things. 
Um, I won't offer I won't offer a service or anything else unless I know I'm capable of finishing it. Diego, congratulations on all Thank your you. successes Thank so you. far and uh, continued success. We look forward to seeing great things from Base Cartel. I do uh, Base Cartel is for the South Bay. I take all of my inspiration from the positive positive vibes from all of our local group rides. Um, I hope the brand continues to grow. Uh, the way it has, and I want to thank everyone who supported it. Thank you, and everyone who is interested in the product to check us out at www.basecartel.com. We got socks for you. We have some socks for you. Visit the site. Again, that was uh, Diego Benetena of Base Cartel Socks and Clothing. Uh, one other note on Diego, guys. It, his Eagle Scout project was to rescue bikes destined for landfills, rehab them, and get them to low-income people who needed transportation. So, yeah, 21. But he's covered a lot of ground already and seems to have great perspective. I mean, if I had that when I was 21, I don't know if I'd be doing podcasts now. I think I would be <laughs> off, you know, really. I mean, humanitarian, I, some type of philanthropist. I could see myself way beyond. So, great guy to be around. Great I, Good to talk with somebody who, a 21-year-old, who isn't about, you know, me. and about, We hear a lot of that now, right, with Generation, I don't know whether they, Generation Y or M, what, I don't know what letter we're <laughs> on right now, but um, it's just good to, refreshing to hear from somebody like that. Yeah, obviously a really put-together guy uh, with interesting products, great perspective, uh, a lot of humility in there, but also a lot of confidence. Yeah, yeah, uh, super, super interview. Uh, uh, really great uh, getting to know uh, him a little bit. So, yeah, I, I, I just went over to basecartel.com and I am going to buy me some socks. Let's go on to the pace line picks. Uh, Patrick, why don't you go first? Sure thing. So, my pick this week is a bar that I've been writing for a couple weeks now. Uh, there's a new bar from Zip, the SL70 Ergo. So, this is a carbon fiber bar. All unidirectional carbon comes in three widths, 40, 42, and 44. I'm writing the 40. It's a 70 millimeter reach and a standard 31.8 millimeter clamp. Uh, and it's a 128 millimeter drop. The neat thing about this bar, what separates it from so many other bars that I've ridden, is that it's flattened on the top and has a three degree back sweep. And so when you're doing a longer climb, uh, or in some cases, riding on rougher roads, it's a really comfortable position for your hands. And it has become uh, a new absolute love for me. I'm, I'm kind of a bar junkie. I really like trying different bars and whatnot. And I love zip stuff because they're so clear about what the measurements are, what you need to do. You know, they give you an objective set of information so that you know exactly what you need to do to make sure you're replicating your old fit. And so this is on my uh, 7 Earhart, which is with me here in Memphis. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really digging this bar and it's a great new option from Zip. All right, fantastic. I'm going to go ahead and go next. And my pick is Icarus a new documentary starring and directed by Brian Fogel, available on Netflix exclusively. It is the story of a man who wanted to expose doping and did so by starting to dope. 
It is an amazing story. I am not going to give away the twists and turns, but there are some serious ones. If you have Netflix, check it out, Icarus. It is worth the two hours you will spend, and I guarantee it will be the topic of your next group ride conversation. And I'm going to do a bonus paceline pick, guys. Uh, the Save Argyle campaign that we talked about last week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is now at $512,000 that have been raised. And being matched by Fairly, that brings it to over a million. But they are looking, of course, to raise a lot closer to $2 million. So, And there's only a week are, left, right? That's right. Uh, by the time this comes out, it'll be less than a week less left. It'll be more like five days. In other words, this is going to be the last time on this podcast that we get a chance to talk about it. If you want to be a part of helping out the Cannondale Draypack team or whatever it winds up being called next year, uh, go you know go do a Google search on Save Argyle, pitch in your fifty bucks, get a cool coffee mug. It's worth it. Uh, this is a team that uh, I personally am personally invested in. I think it is a great team. And I want to see it out there on the road next year. So uh, I got two, I gave myself two pace line picks because no one can stop me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I think he could just turn you down in the mix. That's true. Hottie could stop me because he's got the, he's got the editing control, but uh, I don't think he's on going the button. I, I think he's with me on this one. That's fine. So, Bring us on home, Hottie. And I can go on forever with my pace line pick because no one can stop me, and I will go on forever, <laughs> uh, as usual. Oh, hey, great. you know, when we first go out on our own, our first apartment or home usually involves teaming up with others to cover the rent. These fine people are otherwise known as roommates. At the outset, there's a level of optimism and excitement. You seem compatible. You agree to split the cleaning 50-50. You promise not to each other eat each other's food. And you set some rules for having girls or guys over. Like, no sex on the couch, please. Yes, it all sounds fine and dandy in the beginning. And for a few weeks, maybe a month, everything is great. You hang out, watch a few games together, throw a party, get drunk. Everything's cool. And then, then someone slips up. Dishes get left in the sink. Garbage is not taken out. One of you comes home at 2 in the morning making a lot of noise while the other has to be up in a few hours. The cracks start to develop. I've been on the giving and receiving end of bad roommate behavior. The first apartment I shared was this perfect two-bedroom, two-bath. Plenty of room for two guys. But I like to have a drink or two on occasion. And at times, I would get up in the middle of the night and wander around. On one of these occasions, I wandered straight into my roommate's quarters where he was sleeping with his girlfriend and laid down on his bathroom floor. <laughs> I've also been returned the favor by some crazy housemates, Joe was one of my favorites. This guy was a professional pack rat and pot smoker. When he moved in, he clogged our garage with a boat he'd been working on for like five years and showed no signs it would ever float. He also had like two dozen gas-powered lawnmowers that he had piled up in our side yard. His room became a hazmat zone. He had stacks of used dishes and dirty laundry in every corner. Somehow, he got his girlfriend to sleep in there. Once Joe smoked so much pot that he developed paralysis on one side of his face. Joe was like Sanford and Son and Cheech and Chong rolled up in one. I started thinking about roommates on a recent bike ride. It was a group ride, in fact, going up the coast. 
It started with the same optimism and excitement we used to have prior to moving into a new apartment with roommates. We had rules. Chill pace, 100 miles, stick close to the coast. All are welcome. As we rolled out, things were great. The group was cordial, making small talk, pedaling smoothly, sticking together. And then one of us forgot the rules and started putting themselves before the rest of the group. The bad roommate in question went to the front of the pack and changed the pace from chill to hammer time. The bad roommate in our pace line was clearly the strongest rider, and he was letting everyone know it. And his pace was annoying the rest of us, like dirty dishes left in the sink. Here's the problem with the disruption of a, in a functioning pace line. Instead of one speed, there are three created. You have the speed of the one rider who wants to show how strong they are. You have the recovery speed needed once Hammerboy pulls off. Then you have the speed the group would really like to go. It's a recipe for grumbling and dysfunction. Of course, once the cracks have formed, others jump in. Now you have roommates attacking small hills and going for undeclared sprints. <laughs> At the front of a double pace line, another roommate starts half-wheeling. The peaceful pace line becomes madness, anarchy. Eventually, these living arrangements come to an end. One of you moves in with a girlfriend, finds a new job in another town, decides to live alone. And thankfully, the same thing happens with a fractured pace line. The stronger riders ride off or find a more like-minded group or a climb or something, and order is eventually restored. I know this pace line pick is sounding like a pace line gripe, and it is. <laughs> but I will say, sometimes we do get a roommate or a group ride that does work out. That first apartment I lived in, I really liked that guy. And other than my drunk walk, we really had no issues. And group rides can be enjoyable and harmonious, especially when a strong leader takes control and establishes order. I mean, really, shame on me for not putting some of these bad roommates in their place the other day. So this pace line pick goes out to all the good roommates who clean up after themselves, eat their own food, keep quiet, and all those unsung group riders who stick to the plan, hold a steady pace, help slower riders, and keep the pace line together. You are my pace line pick. All right, that is it for this episode of The Pace Line. If you haven't been to the iTunes, go to the iTunes. Rate us, review us, and for crying out loud, just do what it takes to get us to the top of the, of the outdoor list. We're only 55 away or 155. I don't know. I haven't checked recently. But if you have rated us, if you have reviewed us, thank you. For Hottie, for Patrick, I'm Fatty. You've been listening to The Pace Line. Come and knock on our door. Come and knock on our door.